Hey, love you too. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. God bless you guys. Um, we finished a series last week on the vision called Own the Vision, and we're going to start a new series today in the book of Philippians. And uh, this has been sort of churning in my spirit for a while, and, and um, I, I just feel like God's got some things he wants to say to us through this series and out of the book of Philippians. And so, um, as the Lord leads, we'll be in this series. And I uh, just want to welcome the, the live stream audience. And as always, the notes for this message are in the church app. Um, you're welcome to follow along there. Although I, I'm almost 100% sure I'm going to deviate from them today. Um, and that's okay. Uh, so God, God, we just want you to lead today and have your way. Um, about the book of Philippians... It is one of the most beloved books in the New Testament. Apart from the Gospels, Philippians just carries with it such joy, um, uh, such hope, and um, it's just so upbeat. It's one of those epistles that Paul writes where he's not trying to fix a problem. He's not trying to come down on people who are rutted astray and believing false things or bad things, but... You know, he was writing to commend a church that, that he loved dearly. And I don't know about you, but I love to read Philippians. It's, it's an amazing book. It's encouraging. There's so many uh, uh, memorable quotes in there that, that as we go through that we'll touch upon. But it is definitely the happiest letter that Paul ever, uh, Paul ever wrote that we have recorded now. Um, in it, we, we find the word joy or rejoice 14 times in 104 verses. And he's just encouraging the people, rejoice, take joy in, have joy, live, live from the perspective of the joy of the Lord, and, and just, just trying to encourage the people. Now, Paul, he was not permanently in this city called Philippi. He happened to end up in Philippi on his second missionary journey. Uh, This happened about uh, A.D. 50, the year 50 A.D., 50-51, in that time frame. And on his second missionary journey, it's well Acts chapter 16, his encounter at Philippi. So he he was traveling toward Asia and Bithynia, and the Spirit stopped him. The Spirit stopped him from going that direction. And so he got on a boat and ended up at this place called Troas. And um, as he was there at night, he had a vision. And there was this man from Macedonia saying, please, please come and help us. So he determined that it was the Lord directing him to a different place. He was planning on going to Asia and he ended up heading toward Macedonia. And um, so as he, as he moved toward Macedonia, he ended up in this city called Philippi. Now, Philippi was small enough where there was no Jewish temple there. So they started to look, he and his, his companions started to look for, there was no temple, they started to look They ended up named Lydia, who was a, a maker of fine purple clothes. And she ended up 
becoming a convert to Christianity. And um, shortly after that, they were, they were traveling around and there was a servant girl who was possessed by a demon. And she kept on saying, these are servants of the high God who will teach you the way to salvation. For days, she was saying the same thing. Now, she was speaking truth. But after a while, Paul got frustrated and he cast out the demon from this girl. And then uh, stirred up all this uproar because she was, she was making um, her owner's profit by having the spirit of divination. And wouldn't you know it, Paul and Silas end up in jail. If you've read Acts 16, I'm just hoping to recount some of these things to you. Paul and Silas end up in jail as a result of doing the work of the Lord. So uh, it's, it's there where they're chained in the, the center, in the sort of like the, the most confined, most secure place, and they're singing praise, praises to God. Midnight. And all of a sudden an earthquake comes and all of the jail, cell, jail cells open. And the prisoners are free to go. And the, the, there's a specific name for it. Suicide. He was going to kill himself because all of the prisoners that he was responsible for were being set free. And Paul stopped him. He said, don't do that. We're all still here. We're all still here. And wouldn't you know it, this man, he, he said, what must I do to be saved? And he ended up getting saved. He gave his life to Jesus, him and his family. And um, just an amazing, amazing story that unfolds uh, through these few days or maybe a short period of time that Paul had in, in Philippi. Philippi. Uh, Paul ends up baptizing this man, his family. But it was through these events that the church of Philippi was born. Ten years later, Paul finds himself in prison. Most believe it was Rome. He was in Rome at this time, uh, a Roman prison. And his, he, was, he was jailed, but it wasn't like what we envisioned jail. He was, he, was, um, he was under house arrest. Thank you for whoever helped me there. Thank you, because it was not coming to me too quickly. But, um, but he could receive visitors. And so the Philippian church that he so pro- profoundly impacted uh, 10 years prior sent one of their dear saints, Epaphroditus, with a gift that they had. They had raised money, and he brought a monetary from the Philippian church. Uh, Epaphroditus almost died, but eventually he ended up re- returning to the Philippian church with a letter of thanks from Paul. And that is what we're looking at now, the the letter to the Philippians. So it was a letter based upon thanks from their generosity and his, his, his warm regards for them and his love for them and the, the, the kind things that he always hears about them in their faith, that they, they were just uh, so passionate about Jesus and growing in their faith in Jesus. And in this first chapter, interestingly, I've conveyed that it's a very positive book, um, but I 
titled my message, Prospering in the Midst of Problems. Prospering in the Midst of Problems. And we're going to see that Paul was not without problems when he wrote this book. He was not uh, without difficulty and challenges and, and the potential to lose hope and joy and discouragement overtaking him. So we want to learn today uh, what we can from Paul's life to find hope in the midst of problems. And wouldn't you know it, God did it again. Uh, last week we uh, had a message prepared about love and God prepares the way, you know, um, through the ministry before uh, I got up to share, well, he did it again, because he, he wants to help encouraged. He, he wants to restore joy to people that have, have lost their joy, uh, because the reality is problems can wear us down, right? They can wear us down, and they cause us to see things through a different perspective, and the perspective is we look at the problem instead of the God who's bigger than the problem. We, we, can, we can get zapped of our joy and, and become bankrupt in our hope. You understand what I'm saying? So problems have a way of working some things out of us that are not necessarily good unless we're like Paul. And so we're going to look at what being like Paul really is. Um, you know, because... I know a lot of people, and a lot of people I know worry a lot. You know, uh, my father-in-law would always say, why worry? Why pray when you can worry? You know? Um, (laughs) Because the the truth of the matter is, worry doesn't take away tomorrow's problems. It only takes away today's peace. Worry doesn't change a thing. It just robs you of living in hope and joy. You know, and so we want to talk about this looking at at Paul's life um, because we cannot give in to discouragement. And you may be sitting here saying they're not getting better. That I'm I'm praying for things that I'm praying for things that I'm hoping for are not getting better. They're changing, but they're changing in the wrong direction. I, I want to give you hope today through the Word of God. I, I want you to find hope today through the Word of God. Because, yes, things can get worse. But we still serve a God. He's the God of all hope. This is what Paul writes about him in, in Romans. He's the God of all hope. He, he's able to restore things. He's able to fix things. And, um, you know, last night, I, I shouldn't have done this. But I got a confession to make. So usually I have this routine. I'm a person of routines. And I have this routine on sun, Saturday nights before um, I'm preaching. I go to bed at 10 a.m. I get up at 5.30, 10 p.m., 10 p.m. I get up at 5.30 a.m. And, you know, but last night I was watching uh, UFC. If you don't know what UFC is, it's... it's uh, Ultimate fighting, it's mixed martial arts stuff. My wife hates that I watch it because people are bleeding and get beat up and all that stuff. But then afterwards, I kept seeing these, um, these advertisements for the fight of a generation, a boxing match. They called it the fight of a generation. 
this guy named Tyson Fury against this guy named Dante uh, Wilder. Just, I don't even like boxing. You know what I mean? I don't even like boxing. But I got caught up in this. I mean, if this is of a generation, I can't miss this. I'll miss an hour of sleep or something, you know? Well, um, and they're showing previews about the, this is the second time they fought. They're showing previews of this fight, of the, the first fight, not previews, reviews of the first fight in anticipation of the second fight. And the first fight, in the first fight, this guy, Wilder, knocked this other guy who's 6'9", out cold, but literally he gets up, he continues the fight, and it ends up in a draw. It ends up in a draw. So now the anticipation is like wild. This guy... Uh, Wilder is 40 wins, zero losses, and one tie, which was the guy who tied him. It was a, it was a draw. So, like, the, the energy's crazy, and I can't sleep, you know, and I've got I've to watch this thing because it's just, it's just crazy. So, you know, um, I end up watching the and wouldn't you know it, the guy who's 6'9 knocks out the guy who was 40 and oh. He was, he was 40 and oh. Now, we think, you know, when you see someone 40 and oh and you're going up against him, you think there's no chance this guy's going to lose. There's not a chance in the world. But he, he got knocked out last night. Why do I say all this? Because we, we face life as if we're up knockout, you know? Like, it just takes a problem, one more issue in our lives, and, and we're down for the count. We're, you know, discouraged is overtaken us. Hope is gone. Joy is gone. And, you know, we, we forget what the Bible says about who we are. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. That six foot nine man was a conqueror last night. But because of what Jesus has done, we are more than conquerors. We don't even have to fight the fight. He fought the fight, and we, we get to walk in the victory. We get to wear the, the victor's belt, the champion, be, championship belt, because of what Jesus has done for us. But sometimes we walk around like we're all bruised and battered, and, and there's just no way we can win the fight. The promise is you are more than a conqueror. I heard once some, someone describe that before, like, what does more than a conqueror mean? Well, uh-uh, it's... Actually, the way the person described it to me, it was like a boxing match where, you know, Satan's dealing these death blows to Jesus and 15-round fight, round after round. They're fighting, fighting, fighting. And uh, get to the last round, all of a sudden, Jesus takes him down, defeats Satan once and for all. He holds the, the, the belt above his head. The, the person comes by and drops him the check, Right? The person comes by and drops him the check, and it's like we get to walk up and take the check and say that's ours because we didn't fight the fight, but we get the prize, the inheritance of what winning the fight entails. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And um, so, listen, you may have been knocked down, but you have not been knocked out. You've not been knocked out. And it's time to get up. It's time to walk in what... God has promised to us. Now, listen, as it relates to problems, I want to share with you two myths. Two myths that many people believe um, 
falsely. They, They shouldn't believe this. But this is what Christians believe sometimes. And maybe you've been told this. The first one is this. Life should be problem free. Come on, just pray this little prayer. Accept Jesus and your life is going to be perfect. Everything's going to be good. Uh, You're going to live this happy, joyous life and no problems. I promise you no problems. Well, I promise you that's a myth. (laughs) Because even Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But, But take heart, I've overcome the world. This is what Jesus said. I've overcome the world. He does not promise, promise us uh, a lack of trouble or, or problems in our life. Life happens. You know, things happen. We, we, we have issues in life. We lose our job. Uh, we lose our girlfriend or our boyfriend. We lose our, our spouse. You know, people get sick. Sometimes people die that we love. You, you understand what I'm saying? And there's times that we, we look at this situation and we say, this is, not, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I, what I, what I prayed. You know, this is not what I believed was going to happen to me when I accepted Jesus. Well, what's going on? Life happens. That's what goes on. We live in a world that's, that's ruled by sin. You know, and, and the reality is things happen. Problems happen. There is an enemy. We do live in a broken world. We do make stupid choices ourselves, right? Sometimes we say, I've got problems, but it's your problem because you were stupid, okay? Let's just be honest. You, you made the problem for yourself. Don't get mad at God for that, okay? So sometimes stupidity brings about problems. Um, but Jesus never said that there would be no problems. So that's one myth. I just wanted to get that out on the table because sometimes we... We, uh, our thinking gets a little messed up and we think that God's doing, you know, uh, I, I shouldn't have problems. This is the second myth, that, that God is causing my problems. You know, whether it be God is punishing me, um, you know, or God is trying to prove, God is trying to, to prove something to me, you know, um, or God is causing the problems in my life. And I just want to say, if you believe this, it will be very hard for you to trust God in the middle of your problems. Because how could you pray to a God who caused your problem to take away your problem? You know? Um, sin will cause your problem. But God will work your problem out for your good. He will work your problem out for your good. It, it doesn't mean your problem vanishes in a moment. But in the end, it's going to be good. This is what he says in Romans 8, 28. He works all things out for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And so he will use that to shape you, to mold you, to mature you, to strengthen you, to develop in you perseverance and faith and maturity, you know? And sometimes we fight against that stuff. We fight against... You know, we just want out of our problem. When in the middle of our problem, we should be asking God, what do I need to get out of this problem so I could get out of the problem? You know what I mean? Like, what do you, is there something I need to learn so I could move past this thing? You understand what I'm saying? What do I need to get out of this? And here's the other part. When we ask a question, or when we, when we believe a myth like that, God causes the problem in my life, um, Here's the other issue, the underlying issue many times is that we don't know who we are in Christ. 
You see, Satan will try to get us focused on the problem and convince us of who we are not. God wants us to be focused on him so he can continue to show us who we are, who he's made us to be, what he's done for us, all that, all that we have yet to step into as it relates to our identity and all that God has made available and possible for us. You know, we, we get so focused uh, on the winds and the waves and the storm that we miss out that, man, God's causing me to walk on water. Like, this is amazing, you know? He's called me to walk on water. He's called me, called me to walk in supernatural and, and impossible things, and yet we get focused on the problem and lose our focus on the God who's able to take care of the issue related to what we're in the middle of. Um, so, listen, while we can't control the things that, can, that happen to us, we can control how we respond to them. And this is why I want to look at Philippians chapter 1. Now, uh, Philippians chapter 1 starts off with the usual greetings and salutations and um, you know, how proud I am of you, and I'm, I love you, and I'm, I'm praying for you, and, and, and uh, it's amazing to see your faith after all these years. Um, but it doesn't stay there. What we see in, in chapter 1, verse 12, is Paul beginning to identify some of the things that he's dealing with. And we may only get to these two, three verses this morning. Philippians 1, verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers... That what happened to me, what has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm in chains for Christ. There's a couple words I want to uh, uh, just sort of elaborate on. He says that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. That word advance in the Greek, is a military term. It, it carries the idea of an army moving into an enemy territory. And, you know, if you've ever watched the war films and things like that, you'd see the advanced uh, groupings of the army or the military paving the way, making roads, not paving them, making roads, you know, uh, clearing obstacles, building floating bridges across rivers and things like that. Um, so the, the, the things that Paul, he's saying in essence, the things that I've gone through have, have made a way for the advancement of the gospel into enemy territory. They've, they've opened the doors for things to happen that are good for the gospel, the expansion of the kingdom of God into places the enemy has once ruled. Excuse me. <coughs> Um, the, the second thought I want to I say in relation to verse 12 is, what has happened to me? That is, that is an understatement. But let me just touch on what has happened to him to get him to this place. This is 10 years later. Paul is imprisoned, you know. Um, and uh, there's this long chain of events that brought him to this place, the 10 years after he visited Philippi. In Acts chapter 1, we begin to see this story unfold. He's, he goes to Jerusalem after this prophet Agabus says, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. You're going to be chained with a belt. You're going to be imprisoned. 
you know, bad things are going to happen to you. Well, he ends up going to Jerusalem anyway. And in Jerusalem, he's at a temple worshiping, and this riot starts because people accuse him of bringing people who were not Jews into the temple. That was a no-no back then. Gentiles in the temple. And so they, they said Paul is just breaking all the laws and the rules, and, and, and they, want, they started beating him, and they were going to kill him. It was, it was that close to death until um, the Roman military intervened and, and, and rescued Paul, but also put him in prison. And so uh, Paul is in prison, and he's held without bail for two years. And um, not only that, but as they were transporting, transporting him, there were 40 men that made a vow that they were going to kill him, and they said, we're not going to eat or drink until that man's dead. And so they tried to uh, sabotage this convoy that was transporting Paul to another place. And they made a vow to kill him. Um, He ends up before these prominent people, Felix, the Roman governor and King Agrippa. And he shares the gospel. He shares the gospel with these, these prominent people. And then he was put on a boat because ultimately he was being sent to Rome. And that boat, wouldn't you know it, never made it to Rome. It got caught in this horrific storm. You can read this in Acts 27, 28. And uh, was just destroyed. And they got washed ashore at this place called Malta, where Paul was bitten by a serpent. This is a joyous day for Paul. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so this is a guy filled with hope. You know, I just want you to see that this guy's sharing, he's, he's sharing the gospel, he's living out the gospel, and all these horrible things are happening to him. There's a reason why I'm going through this. So um, he then is put on house arrest for two years, waiting for his trial before Caesar. So this guy, you know, I mean, if it was you and me, we'd be like complaining to no end. What in the world is happening? I did everything you wanted me to do, God. You know, why are these people trying to kill me? Why are these people attacking me? Why am I still in jail? Why am I facing shipwreck? Why, God? You know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And so uh, Paul is waiting for this trial before Caesar. And the way house arrest worked was you were chained to a palace guard. And you were chained to a palace guard 24-7. You know, so now palace guards were one of the most important groups in Rome. And so these are these trained elite people that Paul is, a chain, is chained to under house arrest. Now think about this. They, they, had, um, they, they had like six hour shifts. So four hours a day or six hours a day, four times every 24 hour period. He had a new palace guard. What do you think Paul did when he had a palace guard chained to him? Woe is me. My life is horrible. Don't ever serve Jesus. This is the worst thing that could have ever happened to anyone. Uh, I can't believe it. Even the people that were supposed to be Christians hate me. Even, you know, uh, I mean, God, I, I can't believe he does this to me. You think he said that to the palace guard? No, he didn't. So, four different palace guards every 24-hour period, seven days a week, two years. 
I'm sure they were on some rotation that he had repeat customers. But 28 times per week for two years, he had someone to talk to. And that's why we could say, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Wow. Wow. I don't think, I mean, here he was, he was, he was in prison with um, Silas 10 years prior, and they're singing praises to God. I don't think Paul kept silent. I think he was bold as a lion. I think that he spoke boldly to this palace guard. He was courageous. You see, um, his adversity, the, the, the adversity or the problems that he dealt with, he, he tackled head on. And this is something that we can learn together today. Um, he tackled head, head on. This is, this is some things that I, 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 I captured that I think uh, were a reality for Paul during that time of house arrest. He faced his difficulty with joy. He faced his difficulty with joy. You know the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. We could be strong in the Lord by tapping into the joy. Now, I I want you to think about this for a moment. Um, The the gifts of the Spirit. Actually, let me me say it. Um, The gifts, not not the gifts, the, the fruit of the Spirit our love. Now, most people wouldn't argue that love is like prominent in the Christian faith. To receive and to give. We talked about that last week, you know. But, but love is so powerful. The greatest of these is love. But think about this. Do you think God just randomly had Paul list them some random order? Or do you think there's some priority in order to these fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy. Joy. So we can, we, can, we can surmise that Paul, through his adversity, through his problems, found a way to live his life in joy. You know, you don't have to be robbed of your joy when you go through stuff. It, it doesn't have to take... Uh, the very essence, I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. You're having a good day, you're happy. You're not having a good day, you're not happy. I'm talking about joy. It's, it's, it's more foundational in who we are. Because joy is, is, is it, it carries with it this idea of hope. It carries with, this, with it this idea that things are going to be okay, no matter how bad it gets. You know? And, and so... I I surmise through Paul's situation in the middle of being in prison for years for something that he never even committed, that he he faced his circumstances with joy. Um, The other thing that I think we can can land on is this. He used every opportunity to speak up for Christ. Every opportunity to speak up for Christ. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't filled with fear. He wasn't riddled with fear. He wasn't paralyzed by fear. And I'm betting this last one is true as well, that he didn't complain or blame others for his situation. 
We can learn from Paul's circumstances. Most of us have not been in jail innocently. And if we have, you know, you're here today because you're not in jail any longer. I'm thankful for that. But the reality is that how we get through stuff is important. I was thinking about this. The closest thing I ever faced to jail was boot camp. Seriously. (laughs) It felt like jail. They tell you when to go to bed. They tell you when to get up. They tell you if your bed's made good enough or if it's not. They tell you that your, your shirts aren't folded square enough, um, you know, or flat enough. Um, I mean, they give you this chow hall food. I bet you jail food's better than that. Um, you know, I, I remember at night, you know, lights were out. The drill instructors left. And people would go into the restrooms. And they were massive because... You know, they'd have to be able to accommodate, you know, 50, 60 men in a, a squ- uh, I don't know if it's a squadron, but in a class, in a, in a boot camp class. And um, I, I remember hearing men in the, in the stalls crying at night. Seriously. It was just, I mean, I can't, I've never been in prison, and I'm not trying to equate it to prison. I'm just saying the closest thing that I can say was boot camp was bad. And I, I did. I led people to Jesus. I shared my faith in, those, in that bathroom. People came to Jesus. I tried to stir hope in, in there and, and tell people, listen, just keep going. You only got 11 weeks left or whatever it was. <laughs> You'll be okay. <laughs> no, it wasn't that long. I think it was, for me, it was eight weeks, eight weeks long. So, uh, but, so I can't... I can't uh, I can't equate myself to being in prison, but um, it goes on to say here, not only the palace guard, the whole palace guard were aware that Paul was in chains for Christ, but in verse 14 it says this, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. There's something powerful about courage, and courage is contagious, you know, we need people of courage to just stand up and, and go after the things of God because you'll see that people will follow. People will see your courage and be encouraged. And I don't want to go down that road with the rest of my message. This is what I feel like God was speaking to me today. I'm, I'm going to scrap the rest of what I was planning on talking about. Um, but while I was in the, uh, the prayer room this morning... I saw, and I shared this with the people who were in there. Um, I, I saw, I, I just in my spirit, I saw a picture of people or a person that was, was stuck, like in quicksand, and reaching up for help. You know, like, I, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do, I'm, I'm discouraged, um, I, I feel hopeless, there's, there's no joy in my life. And, and I feel like today God wants to deal Uh, with something very powerful, and that is discouragement. You know, the Bible talks about this man named David. He was King David, and he found himself in a discouraging situation. In fact, his own men wanted to kill him because they followed him into a battle to, um, yeah, they followed him into a battle, and while they were away at battle, their camp got raided and their wives and their children and all their possessions were taken. And so when they came back and discovered their camp was raided, 
Um, they, want, they turned on David and they wanted to kill him at Ziklag. But the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And listen to me. We, we don't have to live a life of hopelessness and joylessness. Uh, it is so important for us to find encouragement. So today, I, I'm just going to, maybe Lynn, you could come up and help me just close this. But today, I, I felt so specifically that God wanted um, those who are dealing with discouragement to receive personal ministry. We, we you know, we serve a God who can, who can give us hope again, who can restore hope again, who can, you know, it doesn't matter if our discouragement is our own fault. It doesn't matter if, you know, the person closest to us is making us discouraged. It doesn't matter if we're broke, busted, and disgusted. It just doesn't matter. You know, God, God through his word and through all that he's accomplished for us, can cause us to walk this life in encouragement. And so this was his plan. I had some other points that I wanted to share with you. But I felt very early this morning that we weren't going to go down the route that I had studied and prepared. That he wanted to just minister to people in discouragement. And so if you feel like today that's you, I understand it'll take some level of transparency to say, listen, I'm going through something. I'm discouraged. It doesn't matter if you're blaming God. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever, whatever the cause of it is. I believe today God wants to minister to your heart. He wants to minister to the core of who you are, to encourage you and strengthen you. And so I want to just invite everyone uh, to stand for just a moment. In just a moment, I'm just going to ask those who, I mean, honestly, totally honestly, you're discouraged to just come up to receive ministry. We've got a ministry team. My wife's going to minister. Lori's going to minister. Mary, if you can make your way up here. We, we just, I, I just know that God wants to do something here, and I trust that he's faithful to meet you right where you're at. And so he might have a prophetic word for you. He might, he might remind you of some of the things he's already done for you to help carry you through this season of your life. He might remind you of some of the promises that he's spoken over you previously. But today's a day to be encouraged in the Lord. So come on up. If, you're, if you feel like today I just need some ministry, I want to I receive some ministry. I'm discouraged. I'm discouraged. My problems are getting to me. They're overwhelming me. They're bothering me. Let's just focus on God for a few moments. God, we thank you. Thank you, God. You're the God of all comfort. You're the God who's able to meet people right where they're at. Thank you, Lord. And just feel free to come. There's no pressure. In just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. In about 15 minutes, we're going to start our, our business meeting. But as you're coming, just, just come to receive. Just come to receive. And let's just focus on God for a moment. Thank you, Lord. You're the God of all comfort. The God of all hope. Thank you, Lord. If we could have people who are on the ministry team just come and begin to minister. And 
and just bless and just share with and pray for anyone who needs prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We're believing, we're believing for breakthrough today, God. We believe that you lift people up over their circumstance, over their situation. Strengthen them today, God. Strengthen them today, God. Hallelujah. More, 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 more. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. We could use a few more people to minister. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer of uh, just to dismiss you guys. Grab coffee. And everyone who is here right now is invited to the business meeting in about 15 minutes. Father, bless your people today, God. I pray that we, we live filled with joy. A life full of hope, God. Filled with all that you have for us, God. Not running on empty. Not smiling when there's not a smile coming from within, within us, God. But Lord, it's real, it's raw, it's authentic, God. Lord, deal with discouragement today. Help people over that hump, God, to see, Lord, the way you want them to see. I bless your people. If you're here receiving ministry, just stay until you receive what you need. And everyone else is dismissed. God bless you guys. Please, as you exit uh, the sanctuary, please, in honor of the people who are receiving ministry, do so quietly. God bless you guys.